0: I thought all you were going to do was slap a little makeup on her, put a dress on. Darling, darling, there is more to being a woman than slapping on some makeup and putting on a dress. I have to teach her how to walk, how to act, so that Mr. Kimball gets attracted to her. Just put her together in some kind of a tidy package that won't fall apart for a couple of hours and let nature take its course. I just wanted to let you know about my study group oh don't be a funny daddy i'll be your study buddy i'm about to embark on one of the great challenges of my scientific career this work right here is going to change history i think this is going to be our greatest mission
1: i don't have time to study i'll never get into stanford i got big plans
0: for you tonight i got maps i got charts i'm gonna see
1: you through this because my credibility is on the line it's at this point that you'll want to start taking notes
0: Welcome to the Sitcom Study, the podcast where we contemplate the TV shows we grew up with and search for the truth and wisdom within the tropes and cliches. And Amy, what is a cliche or trope we're talking about today?
1: Bust out your caboodle, it's time for a makeover.
0: Yeah, So, this was a trope suggested by a listener named Karen, so I will take this opportunity to reiterate what is in the blurb at the end of all of our podcasts. We love it when you, the listener, get a hold of us for any reason, but especially to share your ideas for sitcom tropes, cliches, topics, etc. Uh, We have an email address, which is sitcomstudypodcast at gmail.com, and we are sitcomstudypodcast on Instagram. Instagram, And so uh, one of the first people to ever write in and suggest one was Karen, who said uh, the makeover, the idea of the, the biggest example of this, I think, for our generation is not a sitcom. It's the movie. She's all that right. The old thing of we're going to take the quote unquote ugly duckling and, you know, make these very sort of superficial modifications and then unveil them as this beautiful new person. And, you know, lessons made. Maybe learned that maybe beauty is more than taking off your glasses, and you know, they had it all along and stuff like that.
1: As Enid in Charles in Charge says, What if I take off my glasses and let down my hair and I'm not beautiful?
0: Yeah, exactly. So what is our lineup? What are the shows we're watching?
1: We are watching Green Acres Season 2, Episode 5, The Ugly Duckling, Charles in Charge, Season 1, Episode 8, A Date with Enid, iCarly, Season 2, Episode 14, I Make Sam Gurlier, and Rules of Engagement, Season 6, Episode 2, Bros Before Nodes.
0: Right. So we've got another pretty gendered line up here these are all going to be women young women in most cases trying to uh conform to a certain standard if you will so uh i feel like as long as i've known you you know you you've had the the usual facility with hair and makeup and wearing dresses and whatnot the
1: youth- facility. Tell me more, Jay. (laughs) I've never
0: had to (laughs) take you aside and ask you, you know, maybe you should wear lipstick or something (laughs) like that.
1: would you if you were to take me aside and ask me to
0: not in a million years would that (laughs) thought even occur to me but what i'm winding up to is was there ever a point where you felt like you needed to to be schooled in the ways of you know presenting yourself in a certain way or you needed to to have a makeover
1: Um, physically, no, it was for me, I think the like feminine thing or the thing that girls do that I felt like I struggled with was the, um, I mean, what I kind of call like game playing in relationships, but that whole, like not revealing yourself, not letting boys know that you like them and just sort of like teasing a guy so that he'll kind of be interested in you. I was, I've always been shit at that. I'm still horrible (laughs) at it. I just, I'm like, I, that it's such a mind fuck to me. I'm like, nope, I can't do it. I've tried. I fail every time and usually just get mad at society for making that be the case. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) But as far as doing up your hair and lipstick and stuff, there was never any sort of transformational moment. Did you have, were you ever involved in some sort of intervention where all your friends got together and were like, Oh, let's take Cindy and give her a makeover. Let's do
1: a clueless. Um, No, I mean, look, I've been involved in theater and dance and stuff since I was young. And so all of that was like, and still to to this day, like, I knew how to do show makeup, but I didn't know how to like, put on lipstick for everyday wear. Mm -hmm. And I still really don't. But that's also just because I don't think I like that look on me. I'd rather... Like, I know how to do big, bold, you know, drag queen kind of makeup for the stage.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have to say this this trope to me is very... It's, it's funny that it wasn't on our list exactly until this listener wrote in because I do consider this really one of the quintessential sort of things floating around in the culture, you know, when we were kids. Uh, this idea of the girl taking off the the glasses and letting down the hair. And this particular episode of Charles in Charge is seared in my brain as one of those sitcomy storylines, and even the B story with the caulk that we'll get to. Like, as I was watching it, I just realized, oh, yeah, this is like one of the sort of key quintessential sitcom memories that I have. But let's start with Green Acres. We're going all the way back to, what, early 60s with this? Yeah, it's mid 60s,
1: 1966, season two of Green Acres. Are you, did you, no, you didn't watch this. Well, here's
0: the thing. I didn't watch Green Acres, but I was certainly aware of it because this was part of the Nick at Night lineup right. when we were kids what I remember most about it is the commercials which would always say it's not Zsa Zsa it's Ava you know they, they would make that joke about how you've, you've probably heard of Zsa, Zsa Gabor but not Ava Gabor which was very true and so I would see the commercials for this. I knew that this was on, and this was a time when I would watch Dick Van Dyke and Welcome Back, Cotter and some other shows. This was not something I was going to tune into. I mean, we've talked about how I have a prejudice about country bumpkin type stuff This was always a hard sell and the fact that the youngest person on the show is like 47 or something <laughs> this is just true. too grown up for me just not it, it, the color was even more of a turn off that sort of weird Technicolor look was more of a turnoff than the black and white stuff from Dick Van Dyke. I was not interested in it as a kid when it was on in reruns.
1: Yeah, and I it must have come on after one of those old reruns that I did watch, because I know the beginning of the theme song of this show, and that's it, that da na den Dun, 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 dun. Yes. And
0: that wasn't doing the show any favors in my <laughs> mind either in terms of getting me to watch it.
1: Like, I'm just like, I have this sense memory of that song and the, you know, Green Acres is right. a place like well, that. Let's... But I, do, I never watched the show, but I was really struck while we were watching it how it's um, Shit's Creek.
0: Oh, kind of. Well, yeah, I can definitely see that. The comparison I was going to make was with Beverly Hillbillies. This seems to me like another one of these bewitched slash I Dream of genie, you know, Dante's Peak versus Volcano, uh, Armageddon and Deep Impact kind of things. Were well, these... you're
1: getting into the universe because the, the Beverly Hillbillies, Petticoat Junction and Green Acres all exist in the same universe. Okay,
0: so these were not rivals. This no, was more like building on the yep. success. of of one another.
1: Yeah. They were were crossover shows and then they were all canceled in one foul swoop in what was dubbed at the time as the rural purge on CBS. They got rid of all of them in like the early 70s, kind of mid 70s and said, that's it. We want more urban folks. We want younger people, more urban settings. Let's go.
0: Yeah. I hate to have said all of the things that resulted in the doom of this show, but yeah, those were kind of my notes.
1: Yeah. The Uh, joke was that the time. They canceled everything on CBS that had a tree, including Lassie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is funny. I mean, yeah, look, we, we've we gotten into it before. I feel like this is a time when the sitcoms in general are getting more silly and gimmicky, right? Like we've kind of gotten past your original phase with your Honeymooners and your I Love Lucys and stuff where it's like, let's just have really funny people and have these sort of down to earth situations you know they're a family they work together they're a couple whatever it is and just sort of watch them play out their foibles now we're getting into like someone has to be a werewolf or there has to be a talking horse or even something like this where it's not fantastical to me this is still of a piece with that Adams family Mr. Ed kind of a vibe, the crazy fish out of water scenario and and the overall silliness.
1: Yes, I think that you're you're hitting the nail on the head with that one even though our characters don't know how to hit nails on the head. So, the premise of the show, for all of those out there in TV land that don't know, is we've got a city couple from New York, and he's an attorney, and she's his trophy wife, and he decides, that's it, I'm fed up with city life, I'm going to go and move out to the country and become a farmer, but he still wears a three-piece suit every day, even when he's, you know, using a pitchfork to move hay
0: around. So, he just decided to
1: do this he decided to do this and he got swindled by a con man into buying this farm that is a mess okay. so everything on the farm is falling apart it doesn't work there's you know and then you've got all the just like in Shit's Creek you've got the cast of characters that are completely incompetent and you know ridiculous around town
0: yeah, such as the collection guy that's come from the phone company, right? Who has, this is, uh, I, I had to look up this guy's name because as soon as i heard this voice i was like robin hood this is some character in disney's robin hood he's that old west sort of drunken guy whose voice goes up and down like this
1: i just thought he was doing that voice
0: i mean there's that that's a whole trope unto itself but i could tell this guy sounded so much like that character so it is indeed Pat Buttram, who plays the sheriff of Nottingham in Robin Hood and he plays this sort of wacky drunken guy from the phone company or whatever who's messing around with the phone, uh what's just help me out with the overall like goings on in the beginning of this episode
1: okay so in this episode there's I mean in every episode there's something on the farm that needs to be fixed and some of the main you know the kind of recurring characters on the show are these brothers in quotation mark that are the local carpenters it's a brother and a sister but the joke is that nobody will trust a female carpenter so she goes by the name of Ralph and her brother calls her his brother. So they are the Monroe brothers carpenter team. Okay.
0: So we need to just make sure that that is fully digested because that's going to be a pretty critical story element here. So... These are just regular characters on the show and it's it's just something that you know as part of the funny setup of the show that Ralph is this woman and she is referred to as he, which is just it just kind of takes your breath away for a second given like all the the controversy about that kind of thing in the world now right it was just interesting to hear this like gender confusion and this dialogue going back and forth about should we call her he or she or it or yeah it was interesting
1: well so ralph the woman hasn't chosen her pronouns or really her name in in this way it just they she and her brother are carpenters and out of um, the you know, stereotypes of the day, in order to have a business and gain trust, they named their business the Monroe Brothers. And so they show up and she's kind of a tomboy. And so they just, you know, that, and she's got super short hair and that's just how they roll. Yeah, we meet
0: her and it's sort of already in the context of she's, she's crying. She's upset because she was stood up. So so Oliver, the main guy of the show. Well,
1: you might know from Roman Holiday.
0: Okay. So he's like, Great, this is all I need today. A crying lady carpenter. Right. <laughs> right. So that's our sort of inciting incident, is that Ralph, the lady carpenter, is sad that she got stood up. Right? And
1: this is also a, a like a long-running joke that she is interested in this Hank Kimball guy who is you know, some he has every job that there could he's be the at county City Hall.
0: agent. That's well, the name yeah. on his door. The,
1: but he's so he does everything. Like in every different yes, episode, that is not a title I've ever heard. Of. <laughs> exactly, in every different episode, he's responsible for this permit or this form or you know, getting the mayor to do this or the sheriff to do that or whatever. He's just all the things having to do with city government. And she has this huge crush on him and he's not interested in her. And so that kind of is another recurring joke. Later in like season five or something, they even have a marriage. Like they get married and then he like leaves her shortly thereafter. They like elope and then he's like, nope, and has it annulled or something. Probably because he can do it himself because he's the city everything. he's the county agent.
0: (laughs) So yeah, in this case, she's been stood up She starts talking to Ava, Lisa, I think is her name, Ava Gabor's character. And what she says is, to other women, they sing love songs. To me, they sing for he's a jolly good fellow, right? So she's just saying straight up, like, I need to be more womanly, you know, this, like, everything about her is set up that she's a man. So yeah, it's understandable. She's annoyed by all this. So You know, sitcom 101, right? Ava Gabor's character, you know, says, I'll take you under my wing. I'm going to make you a woman.
1: That's right. And the first thing we got to do is soften you up. So go soak in a bubble bath. So she says to her husband, Oliver, it's going to take me at least a day or two. So, you know, we only have the one bedroom in the farmhouse because it's in shambles. You're going to have to sleep in the barn with the hired hand. Yep. And so we get some fun physical comedy bits with him trying to sleep in this barn and falling and getting hurt yeah, all the time. They and sleep in the his upper head. level. In the, in the loft. Yeah. But pretty quickly, it's coming to light that it's going to take more than a couple days to really turn Ralph into this more feminine character because it's just not in her nature at all yeah
0: what Ava says to her husband she says womanhood is more than makeup and a dress right we need to teach her how to walk how to talk this is almost like a uh Hector Alizondo in pretty woman type thing <laughs> this is not just skin deep changes we need to really get in there and change your whole you know joie de vivre <laughs> as right as
1: as if the makeup uh like the interior character of a human could be changed like that, but okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, you know, they undertake this. We don't get to see a lot of it. You know, she's having daily bubble baths, but we get more of the sort of the comedy is in the reporting of this, right? Right. Like Ava reporting back to her husband going like, no, you still can't come back to the bedroom. You know, it's going to be a few more days. And yeah, the husband says at some point, put her together in a tiny package that won't fall apart for a few hours and let nature run its course, right? He wants to reschedule this date, get the two of them together. And you know, this doesn't have to be perfect. Just make her presentable and get on with
1: it. Right. And mostly so he can move back into his bedroom and stop sleeping in the barn where he's continually getting hurt. The first night he sleeps there, he bangs his head on the loft ceiling because it's, you know, the pitched roof. And then the second night he sleeps there, he sleeps on the other side of the bed and rolls out of the bed and off of the loft and falls and breaks his wrist. Yes. And so he's got all sorts of, you know, he's having all sorts of issues and he really just wants to come back inside and sleep in his bed. So he's going to try to speed up the process. And Ava, his wife, Lisa is like, "Nope, it's not it's going to take longer than that, but if you really want to speed up the process, I'm going to have to work a little magic." And so now she brings in this whole idea of the only way to snare a man if you're in a hurry is to be desirable to other men so that that man can get jealous. And then she gives us the little joke of, you know, well, how do you think I got Oliver?
0: Yeah, Uh, it's been a while since I've referenced this, but this is another situation for our friend from Blackish, the little girl who said the plan comes pre-ruined. Yes, This is a very idiotic scenario that she concocted.
1: Oliver goes to. It is in fact the same plan. Yeah, pretty... to make the girl because in funny. that in that blackish episode, he was going to try to make that girl think he was this amazing, you know, guy who's so uh-huh. you know wanted in so many ways, and also this great family man and lying. Right, and this is the same, same, right? Like we're trying to make this woman seem. They find another guy from the phone company who shows up. Tom
0: Blackwell, electrician. That's right. right? We know that because they say his name like 17 times. Because
1: nobody knows who he is. Yeah. He's a day player. Yeah.
0: It's just very funny when, yeah, Lisa goes, you know, goes around town just looking for some guy to rope into this. No, she
1: doesn't have to go around town. She walks out the door to go looking around town and bumps into the guy who was coming to finally connect their phone. So they finally got a guy to come and connect the phone, and instead of doing that, Lisa ropes him into being this other suitor at dinner.
0: Yes, and he introduces himself as Tom Blackwell. And yeah, we get this farcical scenario. And I have to say, this was a true laugh out loud moment to me when they have this, you know, awkward little uh, introduction where these two guys are brought in and Oliver and Lisa are in there. And, you know, Lisa's saying, oh, you know, Mr. Blackwell, meet Mr. Kimball. And you guys sit down here and everyone's kind of going, oh what's what's going on why are we here oh don't worry about it just sit down and have dinner and then she turns the light off and turns it back on and ralph is like sitting in between them with this like crazy smile and these super intense eyelashes like she just popped up there and like a wig
1: <laughs> yeah like something
0: out of the exorcist and it is it is very funny
1: it's because they didn't get to the lesson where she taught her how to walk right. so she had to give her an entrance <laughs>
0: So yeah, she's sitting there when they turn on the lights and the whole thing just sort of becomes how foolhardy Lisa's plan is, right? Like this whole thing kind of falls apart
1: well, and Lisa herself has said it's too soon.
0: Yeah. The way I remember it sort of playing out is it stops being about anything other than, you know, how silly this whole plan was because they're confused. And just just the way that this whole story resolves itself is bizarre, in my opinion.
1: Well, so I think this whole scene is a moment for the actress who plays Ralph to have A funny bit, right? Mm -hmm. To do her best sort of Lucille Ball kind of thing where she's got, like you said, the big eyelashes on and the one keeps sticking together Um, and so her eye keeps getting glued closed and she keeps having to use her fingers to pop it open and she, you know, is just sitting there waiting for Hanky to recognize that she's all pretty now and want to be with her and the minute he recognizes who it is, he's trying to get the heck out of there. And then the other guy doesn't know what the heck's going on, so he isn't interested in her, but Lisa keeps putting flowers in front of the different people and being like, "Oh, this is Ralph's fiance, Mr. Blackwell. Look at these beautiful flowers that he got her. Aren't they beautiful?" Oh, you know, and like trying to convince Hank to be jealous and Hank's like, "Oh, that's nice. I'm really glad for you guys." Yeah.
0: And maybe it's because it's an older sitcom and the tropes aren't as nailed down, or maybe it's because it's more of a show for grownups, kind of like we were saying with Mary Tyler Moore, so the messaging doesn't need to be as specific. But it's just funny how the, the moral that I expected to get which was like oh all she had to do is be herself and he would like her or something like that doesn't really happen
1: no she was already being herself and he didn't like her (laughs) yeah
0: but but nothing but both guys are sort of like you said confused and just sort of check out and go like uh like i i don't know what's going on here and leave
1: yeah at one point they turn around everybody's kind of focused on hank and the mr blackwell's like not even in the shot and then they turn around and the chair's empty and the back door's open so he's run out because he's like this place is crazy i don't know what weird house i've walked into but i'm not sticking around and so he runs out and then hank realizes that this has all just been a setup to get him with ralph who he has said on multiple occasions he's not interested in yeah that he's just like okay i'm out of here too this is awful and then we get Ralph sobbing again.
0: Right. So and there's no like that's the end of him in this story, which is, I guess, what I'm remarking on. That it's like he began the episode not interested in her. She tried this crazy thing. He's still not interested in her. That is all we have to do with him. And the uh, end of show. Yeah, well the <laughs> the note that it ends on is ava's character lisa and ralph sitting together and they have this moment of levity and she lifts up her skirt ralph does and shows that she's wearing her trousers underneath it right so it's supposed to be one of those like you can take the girl out of the tomboy but you can't take the tomboy out of the girl or whatever it is it's like ah she never even really changed that much she's still got you know she's still the same as she ever was and they kind of laugh it off And so, yeah, I feel like the closest thing to a real, you know, moral or message or philosophy that you could grasp onto is like, eh, she was fine the whole way, don't take these things too seriously. But I guess, I feel like if this had happened a little bit later in the sort of sitcom evolution, you would have gotten a more clearly articulated... Oh, there'll be other guys. Don't worry about it. You know, like right. some sort of just slightly more positive, uplifting twist.
1: Try, they, yeah, you're saying that like in later years and we'll see this in our other shows in the lineup that they're kind of going to try to like use these moments as a teachable moment. Exactly. And this was not. This was just for comedy. This was just for the farce and the fun of it. Yeah. Just to give this actress some fun thing to do and have all this over the top kind of melodrama going on. Very silly. I think the thing that it reminds me of that her character, that Ralph's character reminds me of in this is, do you remember that cartoon character that Oh, I don't re- I don't remember if it was from Roger Rabbit or if it was from actual like you know Warner Brothers Hanna Barbera any of those where it was like this wild red hair and she'd be like um and and like that's that's (laughs) That's kind of what this reminded me of the lady
0: in toontown that chases eddie valiant yes that's very funny uh yeah it is very much that stereotype so you know i guess we'll see how this trope evolves as we move on to charles in charge
1: we're looking at a date with enid
0: yeah, so we've covered Charles in Charge a couple times before, and we've talked about how it is sort of my favorite sitcom ever, even though it's pretty dumb. But this is season one, Charles in Charge, which is a horse of a different color. Right? It is There's... a
1: very, I mean, it feels different. It's a whole different show, you yeah. know?
0: The only other example like this that really comes to mind is Saved by the Bell, which started off as Good Morning, Miss Bliss, had a different cast, and took place in indiana instead of california and in both cases they underwent a major overhaul in the case of saved by the bell they changed the actual name of it as far as charles in charge what happened was this was i think a network show for one year that got canceled and then revived for syndication and they changed the family which Charles worked for and basically the whole cast that surrounded Charles and Buddy was swapped out for a new family and those are the characters that most people remember from Charles in Charge because that's seasons two through five. Right. So that's Nicole Eggert and all of them.
1: They went from a brunette family to a a blonde family.
0: Right. This first season of Charles in Charge has this original family that they eventually got rid of, and has Charles himself as more of a nerdy sort of buttoned up character. He just looks a little bit different. And, you know, that was one of the things that they changed when they retooled it for the syndication was Scott Bayo said, uh, let me dress more like I did when I was Chachi. Let me wear my my unbuttoned shirts and have long hair and just be more of a cool guy.
1: Yeah. And it also, what surprised me, and I didn't realize this until well after we'd watched all of them, was that not only did it get canceled and then come back as a completely different show, but it took a whole season off. Yeah. It wasn't contiguous. So the age difference between Buddy and Charles in season one versus Buddy and Charles in season two is just, it's, no, it's staggering. Noticeable.
0: And that is why when I was a kid first watching these shows, and that's why I'm so nostalgic about it. Cause I would watch it after school. I didn't like when these season one episodes came out because Charles looked weird. You know, like I said, he dressed differently. And yeah, like you're saying, he just looked younger and the whole vibe of it was different. And so in those days, I was just, it was like when a Miss Bliss episode came on with Saved by the Bell. You were just like, ah, damn it. All right, I guess I'll watch DuckTales instead. (laughs) And so I think-
1: Which is hilarious because I loved the Miss Bliss episodes of Saved by the Bell because I was such a fan of the parent trap and it was so For cool sure. to see Haley Mills all grown up playing this teacher.
0: Yeah, well, and what we discovered with Charles in Charge watching it together more recently is that the season one episodes are fine. Like, in some ways, they're better.
1: Yeah, if, I mean, I think in the perfect world, for me, would be a mix of the season one cast and the later cast. Because I think Sarah and Jamie in the later cast are wonderful. I think the youngest brother, the littlest brother in the season one cast is amazing. If he could have stayed on and somehow been adopted by, the new family that would have been fabulous and
0: the middle brother who this episode we're going to talk about is going to focus on I like him too but yeah of course the main reason why I preferred seasons two through five Charles in Charge was because it had the teenage girls you know especially Nicole Eggert this has Lila we'll get into her but yeah season one Charles in Charge is a little different but the premise is the same he's Charles he's in charge he's the live-in babysitter to this family right In season one, we have a more straightforward nuclear family, a mom and dad and three kids. You know, in in the later seasons, we get into the thing with their dad being stationed in the South China Sea or whatever, and they live with their grandpa. So this episode begins with Charles in his bed, like basically asleep. And the the cast members start, you know, kind of knocking on the door and coming in one by one. And already you get... That Charles in Charge farce energy. Yes. You know, that it's not always great at it, but that is part of the DNA of Charles in Charge that sort of noises off, people coming in and out, and sometimes a scene will go on for a long time and have a lot of just, like, you know, running around the stage and different people doing different stuff and that kind of, like, stage farce energy.
1: Yeah, this episode was better than—this in season one episode is better than a lot of the episodes that happen in seasons two and beyond. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. Everybody has a good time in this. And um, you get the f- first person that comes in, like you said, is the dad. And he's like, all right, you're gonna, Charles, you're gonna get a taste of what it looks like to be a Pembroke on a rainy Sunday. And he's got this checklist in his hand. And he's like, here's everything that's happening today. And then the next one that walks in is the youngest son, and he's singing this pizza
0: Yeah, he wants playland to to pizza song
1: playland. and it's it's just like an earworm that keeps going and going and it sets the tone for the whole episode so the dad's listing off all the things that need to happen charles isn't even awake yet but he just is like uh, kind of responding and then the oldest sister lila comes in and she's like hey my friend enid is coming over today don't be weird i know she's a little strange but we're studying and everybody just leave her be and and That's her announcement of what's happening with her today. Now the mom comes in because she's got to go and review a movie for no reason because every critic has already reviewed it and they already hate it.
0: Yeah, this is a weird storyline. I guess the mom is a film critic. I feel like this is one of those, like every few episodes, they change what she does. But yeah, she's a film critic.
1: Well, the whole reason they're doing this is to have this parallel Uh, idea with the makeover story about liking a thing that nobody else likes. Right. This it's is very what they're silly. trying to set up. Yeah, It doesn't work at all, but it's what they're trying to set yeah. up. Yeah, her issue
0: is, oh, I have to review this movie, but it's a lose-lose proposition for me because everybody doesn't like it, so why even bother reviewing it? Because I'm going to either be piling on to the the hatred of this movie or i'm gonna be you know seen as an idiot basically because i'll
1: be the only one who likes it yep
0: right but that's her story the first big scene we get after you know the open in charles's bedroom is charles and douglas who is the middle kid he's he's 11 or 12 and uh he's a weirdo that's his thing he's into science fiction and comic books and he likes to wear his weird like mac and me alien mask around the house instead Stuff like that, and so as he's sort of following Charles around the house, he's giving this little speech about, well, you know, Charles, I've always been fascinated by the bizarre, intrigued by the unique, uh, attracted to the unusual, you know. And this is all, (laughs) yeah, this is all building up to Charles opening the door for Lila's friend, Enid. And she's revealed to be weird basically just because she's buttoned up in a raincoat.
1: Well, yeah, and it's a brown raincoat, so she looks like a turd. Yeah. Like a wet turd standing in their doorway.
0: Yeah, but it is a funny thing. Like, she could be Marilyn Monroe under that for all we know. Like, the only thing that's strange about her at a glance is just that she's all buttoned up in this raincoat and sort of standing in this weird posture, you know, when they open it, so it's kind of like a laugh line. But then she comes in and, you know, they, they unveil her and yeah, you know, usual story, glasses, hair tied back, no makeup, you know, just the usual, again, quote unquote, ugly duckling who is just a totally normal person wearing glasses.
1: Right. I mean, we see it just from, from jump though, even when she looks like a, you know, standing turd in the doorway um douglas is like a you know a gog oh "Oh, yeah she's amazing yes and then he can't even speak as she takes off her raincoat and charles shows her upstairs to lila's room and then we find out that the real reason she's here isn't to study it's because she has been curious about her friend Lila and all the pretty girls at school and how they know how to do what they know how to do, which is like do their hair and dress in pretty colors and wear makeup. And that's when she has the line where she's like, well, you know, what if I take my glasses off and let my hair down and I'm not beautiful like they are in the movies. Yeah,
0: so this one explicitly acknowledges this as a trope. They're right. like, oh, there's always this part in movies where the girl takes down their hair. So they're trying to be a little postmodern with it. And yeah, this, this is, again... A, a totally voluntary makeover. This is somebody, you know, seeking out this assistance. We don't have the specific inciting incident like Ralph, where it's right. like, oh, I was rejected by this particular person. But it's the same deal. I want to be more girly. I want I want boys to like me. Well,
1: but no, that's, that's the difference in this one. She isn't doing this because she wants any external validation. She's doing it because she wants to know if it is something that mm. is part of her personality that she just just hasn't learned how to do yet. Fair enough. And so she is it's all about her. Yeah. She's like I want to know what it feels like. I uh, can't can I look pretty if I put on makeup if somebody taught me how to do makeup you know in my mind if I was playing this character or if you know i, I like in my mind her backstory is that you know her mom is dead and she has a you know she only has a dad and her dad's like a professor and yeah, so she's like say super, a scientist yeah of some kind. so she's like super into these like you know sciency kind of nerdy things and has just not been exposed well, to that sort of like feminine experiences
0: yeah she also mentions liking horror horses at some point, which I just had to laugh because that's a Tina thing from Bob's Burgers. Right, and she I likes feel to like read Tina, her horse books. Yeah, Tina and this girl definitely kind of have a similar vibe. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, Lila also says at some point, once you're beautiful, you won't need that imagination anymore. Which oh God, I, just I like, know, which Jesus. is horrible. Yeah, again, this is sort of, I feel like what we're talking about with the mixed messaging where it's like, are, are we the audience supposed to be on board with this or are we supposed to be sort of Seeing the error of their ways as teenagers, I also just wanted to throw out there: if Lila is the one orchestrating this whole makeover and how to be more of a, you know, fashionista physician heal thyself right like come on she's cute (laughs) i mean i i yeah i think that the actress is cute but it's funny how she dresses basically like she's the daughter of al borland and she doesn't have a mom like she's wearing head to toe (laughs) she
1: should be your like ultimate
0: (laughs) (laughs) she's wearing head to toe flannel and denim right it's it's blue jeans with a blue denim vest and then blue flannel, so she just looks to me like like a hiking trail guide or like Brad from Hey Dude or something. like. I she...
1: don't know about that. I thought she looked pretty hip. I mean, yes, her clothes were warm, but it wasn't like she was wearing a Canadian tuxedo or something. I
0: thought she was very close to that. Oh, Again, see, I that's wouldn't...
1: so interesting. I did not, I didn't peg that. That plaid, like that flannel plaid that she was wearing, looked more like, you know, kind of cute, like it something, was... of, of, you know, And also, she always has her hair done. The other thing, and whatever, this is just an issue I always have with the actress who plays Lila, is she likes Scott (laughs) Baio. And and you can't not see it when like every single time she says a line to him, she looks like she's giving him the like, please kiss me eyes. And it is so uncomfortable. But the theme song says
0: I want Charles in charge of me. Like I feel like that energy is built uh, into the concept.
1: it's it's Oogie. So
0: regardless I would not be Throwing shade At all Except for the fact That the whole episode Is about her You know Sort of Sharing her Expert fashion knowledge And I thought it was Kind of funny That like She Is is, You know To me She could use A little bit of a makeover Herself
1: (laughs) Well And I feel like It was more like Expert hair and makeup Knowledge And then that all Comes crashing down Right Because she tries To tame This girl's hair And it turns Into some weird Sort of Sculpture on her head.
0: Yeah, she looks a little bit like one of the guys in MC Hammer's entourage back in the early 90s who would have this like Hershey Kiss shaped like afro thing or like a a Dr. Seuss character. Yeah,
1: somebody from the Hunger Games. That's what she looks like. It's like she's wearing a sculpture on her head just from moose or whatever and so then the family gets called into the room after you know we have this establishment that Douglas is super into Enid and he's trying to like talk to Charles and talk to his dad to figure out how he can ask her out and you know let this girl Enid know that he's interested in her and then Lila's like help help everybody come help and so the family goes running into the bedroom to find out what, what help is needed and they see that this This isn't a study session, that it's a makeover session, and Douglas is crushed.
0: Yeah, he's very uh, straightforward about his desire to go on a date with this girl, like at least to his family. He doesn't have any embarrassment about that. He's just like, I am in love. I want to go on my first date today. Let's make it happen. So yeah, the, the makeover goes sideways the first time around. Now, how do they fix it?
1: They end up putting her in the shower. It takes, they think they said like three or four shampoos to get it back to normal or somewhere resembling normal. And then before she makes her big reveal where she comes down and she has had the makeover that was successful, Lila says, "It. you know, we tried mousse and that didn't work. We tried hairspray and that didn't work. And we tried makeup, and that didn't work. And what we realized is that Enid doesn't need any of those things. She just needed to brush. She just needed to brush her hair and a little bit of clothes or something. And here she comes. So it was like they were trying in this sort of weird, awkward speech to tell us that she did have the experience of taking her glasses off and taking her hair down and being beautiful.
0: Yes, this, this is so strange because it's like... Yes, she did need a makeover, but not the exact makeover we thought. We thought we needed to give her makeup And a lot of moose. But actually, we needed to give her new clothes and change her hair and take off her glasses. Like, we still get this changed version. Right. No
1: ponytail, no
0: glasses. Right. What we get is more colorful clothes. Right. And, like, nice, you know, like, less frizzy hair. And... I don't know, just like a sort of sunnier attitude and like more confident body language. But it is this weird hybrid of you were beautiful all along. You didn't have to do anything with no, we did still need to change some things. Right. But the, the weirdness continues for me when what happens is Enid herself is delighted. To have been made over and is like, this is great. This is the new me. She goes on her date with Douglas in the kitchen, right? They've made a date. Orange
1: juice and cookies or something. Orange
0: juice and conversation, I believe, (laughs) was, was what was on the agenda. So she goes in to have her date with Douglas. They have like five seconds pass and she comes back out and she's like, all right, see ya. And then they go in to talk to Douglas and it's revealed he doesn't like the new Enid. He liked her when she was weird. Right. And this is where I'm like really on the edge of my seat as to like, what are they going to say about this? Like, what message are they trying to convey? Because a lot of what they're saying is like, oh, she was a caterpillar that needed to turn into a butterfly. Like, they start veering in the direction of... It was immature of you, Douglas, to like her when she was weird. Like, she was right to change. And now it's only a matter of time before you grow up a little bit and realize that women should wear bright, colorful clothing and not have glasses
1: and be pretty. (laughs) No, that is basically what they end up doing because they can't seem to pick a lane, right? So Enid leaves and Douglas comes out and he's like, enraged at Lila and he's like you ruined her! She was perfect before and now she's this thing with these neon clothes! And Lila's like, she's happy and boys will like her which is kind of, you know, her story about it. And then Charles tries to explain it, you know, through the caterpillar and butterfly metaphor being like, oh, you know, you like caterpillars better than you like butterflies. Well, one day, you know, you might change your mind. And so it becomes this like, instead of being about Enid and her makeover, as having anything to do with anything, that just becomes this side note because it was her choice and she likes herself this way, whether or not boys like her because she yeah. wasn't put out at all by the fact that this boy didn't like her. Like I said before, it was about her yeah. wanting to... She didn't to, know it, this
0: boy existed.
1: Prior well, and she didn't day. even care, right? Yeah. This isn't about the external motivation. This is about her internal motivation. So then it becomes this like coming of age moment for Douglas who... Once he gets older, they're telling him he's going to like women who look more yeah. put together.
0: Now, eventually it's the mom who sort of puts us back on the right course, I think, because the whole family is together again. You know, all the while we've we've been having this caulking bee story where Jason, the boy, is caulking everything, which is Really apropos of nothing, but I just love it. You just get to
1: have the fun physical comedy of the cock going everywhere. And
0: it's just such a quintessential B story to me. Like, just such a perfect, like, it knows exactly what it is. You have this little kid spraying It's
1: cement dumping into the full house Kitchen. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. But so, yeah, so the whole family is back together again. And it's the mom who, like you said at the beginning, sort of gets on the same page with Douglas and is like, no, actually... You're fine to like what you like. Like, never mind all of that. Like, if you like weird girls in raincoats and glasses, then then you're all set. And I'm going to go write my movie review where I say that I like this movie, even if everybody else doesn't like it. Like, she finally sort of gets us on the path of, like, oh, right, it's a sitcom. We need to tell people that, you know, you can like what you like and it's okay.
1: Yeah, so we had to have that weird little story. But this is the, the issue that I have with this episode, is that it, like, goes in this direction, then it goes in that direction, and then it goes in this direction. And I, as a as an adult, am confused about what it's trying to teach me. Yeah. As a child, I psh, nope, that whole episode would have been about the cock.
0: Yeah, no. And That's what she said. <laughs> it goes back to kind of what we were saying, where in Green Acres, they don't even really bother having a lesson because it's like, oh, it's just silly and they're grownups anyway, so whatever. And then in Charles in Charge, it's like they sort of know that they should try to have some kind of messaging, but it's like they're doing their homework five minutes before class and they just can't bother to like nail it down and get it right. And so we get that right but yeah good stuff always (laughs) always a fun time with charles also much less buddy in this episode just something to note season one charles has buddy just pops in here and there he doesn't become you know the main yeah we
1: have there's kind of off and on episodes of the buddy and Gwendolyn and charles kind of college focused stories young you know cool college kid focused stories and then the family stories. And right. this one was an all family story.
0: Right. It wasn't yet part of the DNA of the show that Charles and Buddy are these funny bosom buddies that get yeah. into crazy situations. Okay. Moving on to iCarly.
1: Season two, episode 14. I make Sam gurlier. And can I just say, how is it that the best episode on this entire lineup is a children's TV show?
0: Well, because it's a really good children's TV show. Uh, we've we've talked about iCarly before. We love this gang of uh, tech savvy teens, right? This was uh, this is an interesting case where the last two shows both premiere. The same year, iCarly and Rules of Engagement both come out in 2007, mm-hmm. which would place me in my late 20s as these shows were coming out. But yeah, as we've indicated before, I was all in on iCarly, the children's show, and pretty much completely unaware of Rules of Engagement. <laughs> uh, Like I mentioned before, this was one I was living with my brother at the time that this came out, and so we watched iCarly somewhat ironically, but the irony isn't that it was bad or anything, it's just that it's clearly not meant for us, and we're a couple of grown men watching something that is very much made for kids, but there is a real wit to this and this very clearly developed absurdist voice that it has going for it and it's all the more impressive how funny it manages to be within the confines of a show for kids that is clearly meant for this tween audience and can only go so far with the humor
1: yeah that and then the other thing that i was just remarking on when we were watching it is these kids are the same age as the kids in Charles in Charge but the pacing of the dialogue is on point. Best paced show out of all four in this week's lineup, not just because of the writing but because of the delivery. These they're great. Like the kids are just like those very wordy Words, you know, (laughs) are flying out of their mouths.
0: Yeah. When we were talking about Melissa Joan Hart, you made the observation that Clarissa was a little bit like a proto iCarly. And I really saw that this time. When they begin with the, you know, iCarly proper segment, they're doing their eyed morph that bit. And so they're messing around with images on their computer and stuff. And it's just like we were saying with Clarissa, just kind of screwing around with the technology. And what's the kind of thing that a, you know, 13, 14-year-old kid would do if they had access to these fun graphics things and stuff. It's funny, it's sort of like the same way that, you know, you have to adjust for inflation with the movie box offices and stuff. Like, if you're comparing them just purely objectively Miranda Cosgrove and Jeanette McCurdy kind of act the pants off of young Melissa Joan Hart but you have to just sort of allow for like that whole thing like Nickelodeon as we were talking about was doing their first show of that kind ever and this kid is being handed this monologue and be like yeah I don't know do it whereas now (laughs) yeah you really get the sense that this is much more of a finely tuned machine and yeah these kids are really good the writing is really good and just the The whole, like you said, the whole pace of it is just uh, without being, and I, I think some people might disagree with this statement, but without being overly annoying, it really is fast paced and fun.
1: And you don't, the thing that you have in a lot of the TV shows, kids TV shows that you don't have in iCarly is you don't have those like laborious scenes where the parents just don't understand and it just feels like we have these scenes with the parents just to show how ridiculous real life is as opposed to the kids, you know, creative magical life and world and that just doesn't happen in iCarly.
0: Well, one way to avoid uh, sappy, boring scenes with the parents in your TV show is to not have parents, right? The whole concept of iCarly is that there are no straightforward nuclear families in this. The main character, Carly, lives with her older brother, Spencer. Her friend Sam lives with her single mom that for the first few seasons we don't get to see. She's just this sort of off-camera crazy force of nature that's in and out of jail, and then Freddie has his single mom that they get into with her own stories. So this is very much putting forth, like, family can look like all these different kinds of things and both for reasons of inclusion and, like you said, for reasons of making the show fun, we don't ever have to deal with the parents.
1: That's right. And it's not that there aren't guardians, because you know there are, but it's dealt with, like you said, in all of these different and creative ways so that the focus of the show can be the thing that, like, when you describe your childhood to me and how you were so creative and you were really focused on like your ideas and your projects and you'd get kind of wrapped up in some like, oh, I want to make this video where I do this. I'm going to get my friends and costumes and all this kind of stuff. Like that is what... Carly does that's what Carly and Sam and Freddie do and they have this sort of creative freedom and supportive families and supportive adults in their lives that allow them or absent adults in their lives in Sam's case that allow them to kind of like do that and have that autonomy and and it's it makes it really fun you know whereas like when we were growing up we had kids like Clarissa and she had that autonomy too because she had cool hippie parents who you know bought her the things or were able to buy her the things that allowed her to do that kind of stuff in her room, you know, while they were downstairs being grown ups.
0: Yeah, totally. And still as an adult watching this show, I connected to Carly as a grown up with a YouTube channel that, you know, I'm trying to develop. Yeah, it is. It is one of the joys of this show to watch them go through that creative process. And the other thing uh, that was clear to me, you know, as this story gets going with Spencer coming in with his whole wacky B story that he he is going to the Mexican ballet with his friend Saco's grandma is that he, uh, Spencer, played by Jerry Trainor, is really the secret weapon of this show because, uh, like we're saying, he is the closest thing to an adult the show has. He is very sort of wacky and silly, but that actor, again, this is my opinion, not everyone would agree with this, but I think this actor really strikes that balance of being wacky and loud and definitely a little bit in the latter-day Jim Carrey school of silliness, but he's not annoying and he has this natural warmth and even sort of intelligence to him that on some level, you buy into it and you don't sit there going like, she would never be left in the clutches of this clown.
1: Right, because he is a clown in certain ways, but not in others. He's earnest, right? He is also an artist Artist And creative and because they come from money, his sort of clownishness is more eccentricity yes. than it is uh, a danger to, you know, Carly's life.
0: But anyway, getting into this episode specifically, this is all going to start with Sam's birthday party that they're getting ready for. Right, right, which
1: sort of devolves into a roast. Yes. Because they say, OK, you know, it's time for the speeches now. This is like something I've come across now at three different occasions. Do do you go to birthday parties where people give like rah-rah, yay? Unfortunately. Birthday yes.
0: This did remind me of one experience in particular where my friend Rosie's fortieth birthday party, one of the fellow guests, had the great idea to have <laughs> 40 compliments for Rosie's 40th birthday. Birthday, which means and there's only I, I don't know, you know, 15, 20, however many people at this party. So we just have to go around the room saying nice things about him until we hit 40 unprepared, which, yeah, which as you can imagine, is, you know, is is kind of a tall order. So, yeah, so they start this by going, okay, everyone, time for the speeches, which, like you said, especially for teenagers, I definitely missed the part where that became like standard protocol for a party, (laughs) but... Carly gets up and gives this, you know, kind of down the middle, like, ah, we all like Sam, but she can be crazy and says one or two wacky things and here's to you, Sam, and kind of raises her juice glass or whatever. And it kind of goes on from there.
1: Right. And so and then we get the like time lapse thing, you know, some sort of wipe. So we see that now it's kind of gone around and we've got little anecdotes of different kids that we've never seen before. You know, oh, my favorite memory memory of Sam is one time we had a sleepover and she stole my bra in the middle of the night and filled it with pudding and put it in the freezer, you know, and it's like all of these things. And you see Sam as the time goes on in her, you know, sitting in her throne, getting more and more kind of demoralized. Kind of like people
0: in the real world. Yeah. By these,
1: by these anecdotes that Everyone is saying them in celebration of Sam because Sam, you know, seems to love herself. But it turns out that the reason that she's kind of a little uncomfortable with this is that her crush is there. And he caps off all the speeches by, you know, toasting to Sam and saying it's great that she can, you know, Beat somebody up just as well as, you know, kick a football or something. And how great is that? And Sam's kind of like, that's not what you want to hear from the guy you want to like you. Yeah.
0: The nail in the coffin is that he calls her one bad dude. He goes, Sam, you're one bad dude. And that's, of course, not what a girl wants to hear at that age. And so, yeah, much like the other characters in this, she enlists Carly. She says, I want guys like Pete to think of me as just lovable, not someone they call when there's a riot or when they want to flip a truck, right? So right. she's saying, Carly, you know, school me in the ways of girliness, right? The the title of this episode is I Make Sam Girlier. But I have to say it's an interesting situation that they're in with these characters because – Sam is very much established throughout the series, as she is this wild card. They always make jokes about her going to juvie, right? They love saying the word juvie. So this thing about her being a badass is true. But this dichotomy that Carly is girly and Sam's not, at a glance, in terms of the way they dress and present themselves... It's not really like that. Like, they both pretty much just dress like normal, modern girls. So I feel like they need to do a little bit of kind of gymnastics here to, to you know, sort of morph it into something that is a little bit like do your hair like so and walk like so and all of that. You right. Know?
1: Well, and so you're kind of picking up on a couple of different things. Number one, this is... Sam's kind of internalized misogyny that society, in order for her to be a likable um, romantic partner as a female, has to be this like ultimate kind of baby pink, very feminine soft yeah. girl. And she isn't that girl, but she wants this boy to like her. So she thinks she has to because society has, you know, beaten that into her and, in, you know, into her psyche. And then the other thing you're picking up on is the the kind of fine line that the show itself is trying to walk in saying that in the title, right? So this episode had three different titles. It had, you know, a working title, like I Make Sam Girly was one of them. And they went with I Make Sam Girlier mm. for exactly that reason, because it isn't that Sam isn't already girly, and it is—it's incorrect in a way to say that. And the only person in the show who thinks that Sam needs to change in any way is Sam in this episode. So just like Enid and um, Ralph in the yeah. in the our first two episodes, this is—it's an internalized image of what society has been putting out there and that these more tomboy characters have kind of, or, you know, odd characters have seen and have recognized over their years that is the thing that makes them different
0: yeah no i think that's exactly true but there's also just the weirdness of kind of similar to you know how i was digging on lila stepping into the beauty queen expert role when she dresses like a lumberjack herself there's just it's like there's this weird mix of like carly can absolutely teach sam how to like eat spaghetti a little more politely if she wants to but in terms of how they dress and how they do their hair and stuff like they're pretty much on par, right? Carly isn't some kind of like pageant girl. Like they both like I said, they just both present themselves like normal people. It's really only Sam's crazy behavior right. that it's even the personality. Puts her- yeah, yeah. It's exactly. not necessarily
1: and she does just like we see in um in the Charles and Charred episode when Sam is girlier. She wears more pastels, more pinks and yellows and oranges. And that's the same thing we saw Enid. Enid went from wearing kind of dark browns and blacks, um, and grays into wearing these more kind of bright, warm, vibrant colors and so that's one marker of sam's you know becoming more girly but then also it's the skirts and heels like sam doesn't wear skirts and heels because she is always ready to be a little scrappy you know but that's not to say that like you know Think about Avril Lavigne. Avril Lavigne isn't, you know, considered manly in any way. No, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? She's the skater girl. And that's like, that's kind of how Sam dresses too.
0: Yeah. That, I think that's part of what I'm bumping up against too, is that the combination of the way they're presented and the changing styles of the times is just like now the behavioral makeover makes a lot of sense whereas the sort of superficial makeover sort of seems a little forced and like they're almost doing it as this homage to the to the trope when right really... they're a
1: visual mediums so they're trying to like make visual exactly what's more of an internal conflict
0: right so let's get to what the the substantive change here is going to involve kind of like our Miley Cyrus bully scenario from a few episodes back we're going to have a new kid at school played by a grown ass woman (laughs) who is you know the the new bully in town and is sort of wrecking havoc and she's sort of established earlier in the show you know they kind of uh, plant that seed so that we know okay there's this bully in town and then a few scenes later after Sam has undergone this transition and and she comes back to school, like you said, dressed with the nice straight hair and the skirt and, you know, behaving all properly and trying to follow all of Carly's advice. She's she's going to be presented with this dilemma when the bully starts messing with them.
1: Right. It's this passivity that is really the the difference in their kind of personalities that... Sam is asking Carly to help her with instead of, you know, always kind of being aggressive and getting out there and trying to, you know, either solve the problem or, you know, fix whatever the issue is with a fist or a a yell. It's no, lay back and, you know, stay out of it and wait for the bigger, brawnier boys to do that kind of a thing. And so the bully has this kid hanging upside down and she's yelling at him and Sam's like, I, I," you know, they're all the other kids are looking at Sam, like, are you going to do something? And Sam's like, I don't have to do anything. I'm not responsible for some nerd getting thumped, you know? And so she stomps off, like, not It's not my job to keep all the kids in school safe from a bully.
0: Right. This is a little bit like in, you know, the the Spider-Man sequels or whatever, where they sort of like turn their back on their call for a right. while. You know, I don't need to be Spider-Man anymore. Why do I have to help everybody? <laughs> yeah. So meanwhile, uh, she starts putting her plan into action. They go to their, their taco shack or whatever, their groovy smoothie. Yes. Is, that's their hangout.
1: Every time I watch iCarly, I want to go to Tropical Smoothie. Every single time. Like, we just need to start being better about when we know we're going to watch iCarly going to pick yeah. up Tropical Smoothie beforehand. There's
0: really funny acting with the two of them uh, when Carly is sort of like watching Sam from across the room as she approaches this boy, this floppy haired, handsome brother looking boy that she's got a crush on. And, uh, you know, she, she implements her plan and asks, uh, or maybe, you know, entices him to ask her to, to do something. And the way she does this silent, nonchalant look back to Carly and touches her nose like this little sort of like signal, you know, like they're on the same Mission Impossible team or something <laughs> is just very funny.
1: Yes, it, it was really good. She turns as soon as he asks her out on a date, she smiles, turns her back on him, touches her nose. So Carly can see. Carly touches her nose, and then they right. both all back. keeping yeah.
0: this very straight face, like yes. everything's going according to plan. We're not going to make any sudden movements. We're just keeping things
1: going. That's right. So the boy has noticed that you know she looks a little different, and he's like, "Oh yeah, you know, something about you know your hair looks different or whatever," and then asks her out, and she's like, "I'd love that." So that is. The whole point, it succeeded. The girliness has worked, yay.
0: Yeah, and so back at school, we're getting second and third confrontations with this bully girl. There's a point where she, uh, I don't know, she kind of like book drops Sam or maybe lunch drops her. I think she knocks her lunch tray out of her hand and shoves her against the locker. And it is that thing where Sam's about to fight and then she says, nice girls, don't fight. I like your shoes and and walks away. So it's one of these things, you know, first, second time, She's resisting the temptation, and then eventually we get the scene where uh, the bully girl messes with Carly and, like, pushes her down to the ground, and, you know, ultimately, Carly gives Sam permission to hulk out, right? Right,
1: yes, exactly. So, Carly... In, like, the third time or fourth time that we we get this bully situation, we're not at school on this very last time. We're in Groovy Smoothie. And the date or the second or third date with this boy is about to start. And they're sitting there and they're waiting and Sam's got another cute little outfit on um, tights and heels. And a skirt is like her kind of go-to look. Mm -hmm. And the bully comes in ready for a fight because so Sam, you know, has has gotten out of the first kind of fight or the most recent school fight by just turning the other cheek and being like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to engage in this. But now the bully has come looking for her and Carly Kind of looks at Sam and is like, I'm going to be you in this situation and you just like chill out because you don't want to get all messy and dirty and fighty when the boy is about to come in. So Carly gets up to kind of say, hey, look, you know, and not do Sam, but sort of take the role of Sam by putting herself in between her friends right. and these Or if bullies.
0: anything, modeling for Sam, here's a way that you can stand up for yourself that's not quite as wild as what you would do.
1: Right, not not as fighty, as she, as she says several yeah. times throughout the episode. And it doesn't work at all. The bully now, not in school, not that that mattered anyway, knocks Carly down, like, across the floor. And Miranda Cosgrove, like, slides all the way across the back of the set and sits up like shocked that she's been knocked down in this manner and looks at Sam and Sam looks at her and she like nods again She says
0: Sam take her head off which <laughs> is something Sam has been talking about doing and yeah this is the part in Spider-Man 2 where Green Goblin gets Mary Jane and you gotta get back that Spider-Man suit right this is another laugh out loud moment where the bully sees that Sam has been you know authorized to use lethal force and she just kind of scoffs and's like. Like, oh, what you're sicking your friend on her? What's she gonna do? And Sam just lets out this full body scream and just lunges at <laughs> yes, her, just like leaps feral. onto her. <laughs> yeah, and it's great, and it's you know,
1: it. We she, don't get any of the Miley Cyrus, um uh, Hannah Montana cutaways. We no, get to we see get the, the full fight. fight.
0: Yeah, we get uh Sam pounding on her and screaming, "Tap out, tap out!" Right, this <laughs> right. is out to be clear. It's still a kids' show. We can't like literally pummel her to a bloody pulp.
1: Right, so, there's no punching but there's lots of like grappling and pushing and kind of like tripping and, and moving yeah. each other around you, the space and jumping on each other's back
0: right the idea is you subdue the person you get them to the point where they have to essentially cry uncle and then she does again it's you know the proportions of these actors make this a little hard to believe but she does the thing of like kind of getting the cross-faced chicken wing you know getting her arm around her back and kind of shoving her you know forcing her to to walk herself out of the door and, you know, sort of liberates the groovy smoothie from the reign of terror.
1: Yeah, and then the two, like, lackeys that are with the bully, she turns around and, like, rounds on them and does another primal scream. Yeah. And then they run out of the place and she's just, like, heaving and breathing and, uh, you know, and looking back at her friends and then Carly realizes that, the boy is there and kind of makes eyes at Sam like turn around right. and Sam turns around and sees her kind of new boyfriend and is like oh shit <laughs> yes.
0: but of course uh the guy says You are awesome. And he basically explains, like, there was no reason for you to transform your personality in the first place. I like girls that are girly. I like girls that are fighty. I think it's cool that you're tough and you can hold your own. And Yeah, I mean,
1: his, his, I think, not exact quote, because I don't remember it, but his paraphrasing him is like, I want a girl who can eat a ton of food, kick some ass, and also, like, be a great hang, like that's yeah. what I want.
0: Yeah, and so it doesn't present it as like her her transformation was wrong, but it's more just like everything can coexist. You know, right. like you can be girly, you can beat up the bullies, just kind of do whatever you want. You know, if you want to work in mini skirts and colorful tights, no problem. Yeah, you
1: know? his point was, I liked you before you changed. You didn't right. there. It, you didn't need to do that for me or, you know, anybody like you be you, I already liked you. And she didn't know that he liked her before. And so it was like her journey. It was Sam's journey to kind of realize, oh, this guy likes me for me.
0: (laughs) And yeah, this is one where the messaging is pretty on point. You don't really have to change. Be like yourself, be happy with who you are. Now, I don't know if that's going to continue with our next show, Rules of Engagement.
1: We are late in the series. This is season six, episode two, Bros Before Nodes.
0: Yeah, I don't remember much about this show's existence. Uh, This was a rough one for me. This was... You know, I I feel like whatever, I think at this point we've kind of said our piece about these sitcoms that are sort of rooted in the toxicity of isn't it funny when married couples hate each other and everyone's lying and scheming and nobody gets along.
1: Yeah, and I was a little disappointed. I mean, I wasn't a little. I was a lot disappointed in this episode, but I was surprised at some of the things here because I did watch some of this show. It was, this is one of these shows that was on CBS and it was, it got put after How I Met Your Mother for a while it was after Big Bang Theory for a while and and so it, it like had all these really great lead-ins of shows that I did watch well, during that time and so I was like oh okay and I remember the Oliver Hudson and his, uh, fiance girlfriend relationship being kind of interesting. I remember the Patrick Warburton and his wife not being so, I mean, I remember them being funnier than they were in this. They, like, this is season six. And I don't know, man. It just, it, this, I, I didn't like this episode. And I remember this show being a bit more charming in earlier seasons?
0: Sure. We've got the usual season six caveats. A lot of times they're not at their best. My sort of take on this cast was that it seemed like frankenstein from other shows like you've got you know patrick warburton this hilarious you know funny side character on seinfeld eh, did we need this guy as like the romantic lead on a show like this you know when this whole he, he's really funny in a lot of things but i, I to me there's only so much of that that bit that you want. And then, you know, his wife is the the mom from the show Grounded for Life that I liked a lot. And like all, all these people, you know, Spade of course, all these recognizable people that Still kind of felt like, oh, I don't know if I would pick that person to be like one of the key characters in this, you know, in this show about, you know, these handful of, of couples and stuff. Like the whole thing just seemed a little miscalibrated to me.
1: Yeah, like I said, I do remember there being some, some better bits from back in the day. But yeah, I... Ugh. You're not going to be surprised at all when I tell you that this is a Happy Madison production. Sure.
0: I guess that's one thing that I wanted to sort of confess is that it it was not surprising to me that this show was not my cup of tea because I was never into not only David Spade. I'll make the more controversial statement. I wasn't into the whole brand of early 2000s SNL alumni comedy. You know, this was a time when I was going to the movies to see the latest Paul Thomas Anderson or Darren Aronofsky masterpiece. You know, I was an aspiring filmmaker. My tastes were pretentious. So I didn't see Tommy Boy. I didn't see, you know, I I didn't see any of those sort you know, quote unquote classics that, that, you know, were so celebrated as these hilarious comedies of those times. And I think even the fans of those movies would probably say that David Spade is not necessarily their favorite among that posse so yeah this this whole thing was just was never going to be my favorite show but maybe you could just just explain you know very quickly the the gist of what this thing is about
1: so the show is about um couples in like different stages of relationships so you've got patrick warburton and the um the woman from grounded for life who are the married couple and then They have, you know, some fun exchanges and uh, throughout the times they are. um, He's kind of a finance bro, not kind of, he is a finance bro, but she gives as good as she gets and they, you know, love each other because they uh, have each other's number kind of a thing. And so that's the kind of older married couple. And then you have Oliver Hudson and the girl who plays his girlfriend and then on to fiancé later on. They are like the younger couple sort of navigating the, do. you know, I think at first it's like, do we move in together or they had just moved in together or something along those lines. And then it's like, do we get engaged and the prolonged engagement and just like navigating the next phases of commitment as a young, hot couple. And then you have David Spade and his sort of rotating cavalcade of One night stands. So think of it as like you have Lily and Marshall. Right. You have. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have like Ted and Robin. And then you have Barney.
0: Right. And in the larger scheme of things, all of these shows are competing to be the next friends, basically. Right. But so, okay. I mean, I remember that opening sequence of the two couples in the bed and then David Spade in the middle as the single guy. And that sort of being like a picture is worth a thousand words. Like that kind of tells you the the premise of the show so yeah this episode is going to be about david spade's wife because i guess even though she's not part of this permanent cast he's married to liz who is played by the lady from reno 911 and bridesmaids this very sort of the
1: Goldbergs.
0: Yeah, okay. It very sort of, you know, kind of silly over-the-top uh, lady. I don't know how you would describe her.
1: Yeah, she's a character actress. She's a yeah. comedic character actress. I would say she's like TV's version of Jennifer Coolidge. You know, she doesn't do a silly voice, but she kind of always plays this sort of bimbo adjacent daffy woman. Right. She's a wild card. Right. Um, very funny. And she, the way she kind of gets introduced is she's like an upstairs neighbor or a former colleague or something of patrick warburton's wife in this and there's this weird story arc where she and david spade get married even though he's disgusted by her at all times and she her like whole character is that she says gross things like, no sexy woman would say about, you know, talking about her thong being stuck way up in her butt and talking about yeah. how her pits are sweaty. And she just talks about things that, you know, proper. Sexy ladies don't talk about.
0: Right. And so I guess the problem with us dropping into this is that the story gets set in motion immediately, which is that David Spade's dad is coming into town and he wants to meet his wife. And David Spade's character is ashamed of this crazy wife of his but. We haven't gotten to see the wife yet. So if you're watching the show in its time, presumably, you've gotten to get to know this character, and maybe this actress is having a blast playing this wacky character, and so you understand everything in that spirit. For me, starting on this episode, I don't get to see this person. All I get is David Spade saying all of these horrible things about his wife, going, oh my god, what's my dad gonna think when he meets Liz? Oh, jeez, I need to... I need to lock her up and hire an escort to pretend to be my wife or something. And so it it comes across as so horribly mean when the reality is like, yeah, maybe this would all be a little funnier if I was more familiar with this crazy character and understood that, like, this is all part of the joke.
1: I mean, yeah, but what I don't understand, and again, maybe this is something I would understand if I also wasn't dropping in, is why he's married to a woman he thinks is disgusting in the first place. And it is just like a short character arc that this is true. Like, it's only for a little while here in season six, they get divorced pretty soon. I
0: assume there was just some story reason, Reason. like some specific wacky thing that happened. Right,
1: but you can't figure it out. I mean, like David Spade's character in the show is this, you know, wealthy money, you know, he inherited money kind of playboy kid and he runs his dad's, one of his dad's many companies. So he doesn't need, you know, what would be the
0: need? But I was relieved, whatever the reason, to realize that this was more of a, a short-term character arc because if this was just his regular wife throughout the whole series oh, no, that would be horrible. and this was how he felt about her, it really would be just such a depressing premise for the show. Yeah. But yeah, so he's going back and forth with his assistant. He has this this fun British assistant who's, you know, the the straight man basically. He's he's the one uh, who's sort of going like, Why why are you so desperate for your dad's approval? and I guess. I guess we don't we don't get any like deep soul searching into that at least for a while we just get david spade wanting to somehow make his wife presentable
1: right and the one thing we do here and the assistant character kind of says a little oh the you know i'm seeing behind the curtain or some has some line like that is when david spade's dad says I've only ever married hotties except for your mother. And yeah. so, you know, now I'm stuck with you or whatever. And so the assistant is like, ah, now I'm understanding more about why he's seeking this approval. But yeah, it's it's like the thing from that Martin episode we watched with the reunion. It's like he, you know, Martin wants to front at his class reunion. So he sends his wife off to the spa to get all gorgeified. So David Spade does the same thing, takes Liz to the salon to get her all gorgeous. And she says, make me look like January Jones from Mad Men.
0: Yeah, and I guess we get a similar trajectory to Charles in charge because the first makeover doesn't take right the first time they try it it's just sort of like nope didn't get the ingredients right and now she looks weird
1: well she has this huge blonde um,
0: oh right she looks like like she's from hairspray
1: I was gonna say Mars attacks when yeah, the yeah. alien puts on that blonde wig uh-huh. that's what <laughs> that's what she looks like she's this huge blonde wig that is very like yes. Yeah, Hairspray, Marza Taxi. Yeah, it looks ridiculous like she's wearing a helmet, but she's loving it because she's like I look like madmen and she turns around in the salon chair and it's like, Hey, Don Draper, come on over here. And, uh, yeah. And he's like, Nope, that's not going to happen. So then round two and you know, they play up the boobs and now she's all sexy.
0: Yeah. What they do is the assistant character says, you know, I've never told you this, but he reveals that he has experience with hair and makeup. And Spade's reaction is he says, totally gay, Tells you everything you need to know about this show and the mentality behind it right there.
1: Oh, yeah. They have at least four jokes about your gay assistant. Yeah, exactly. And the guy's like, but I'm not...
0: Yeah, it's reveling in that early 2000s licentiousness where it's like, oh, now we can, we can say that stuff and just kind of throw it around because we're past it. But we're actually still trading on the same sort of like bigotry as we've had in the 80s and 90s, but are, can just sort of be more open about it.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. This whole episode just remind like, it felt like Entourage light.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But so the the assistant uh, uses his magic, and he gets her in a way that basically we can tell from the reaction of the other cast that we're supposed to understand. Okay, this this second makeover worked, and and she looks amazing. This is another case where, to me, it's like yeah, they uh, what they they gave her uh,
1: a push up bra, a tight dress, high heels
0: yeah you know she still looks like herself uh but spade is delighted. And says like, yeah, she's she's ready to to meet my dad.
1: Yeah, except for we're never going to change her personality. So hopefully she just won't talk. They go to what is some
0: sort of like event or party or something, right? Yeah. With the dad, uh, the assistant asks him what is you know on everyone's mind. Isn't it time you stopped craving your father's approval? Uh, there's a point where like the dad is saying these crude things about Liz, and David Spade's like, did you hear? He likes her boobs. Isn't that great? So, yeah. My last note is that Liz reclaims her dignity by reveling in the notion that both the father and the son want to bone her. Right. You know? And because, again, from my point... I mean, point, is that
1: really reclaiming any dignity? I don't know. Only but in, in the her sense own that... mind, maybe?
0: Well, to me, again, from the point of view of somebody who... The whole first half of this episode, they're talking about this character that right. I haven't even gotten to see. So my mind is just going to all these places of like what are they doing to this poor woman so at least at the end when she's being all crazy and going like ah so they both want to bang me great now i'm at least getting the energy of <laughs> got la-
1: put on your scuba suit to get this thong out
0: <laughs> yeah like now i'm seeing gina from martin lucy from lucy like i'm getting to see the lady actress being crazy and weird and funny and then it's fine you know again we're not here saying everybody needs to always be nice to each other and nobody can ever you know take a crack at somebody in a sitcom but it's it's just that thing of like do they have any agency you know or right. are they having any fun and so when she sort of turns into a horn dog at the end it makes it more fun for me
1: yeah well and like you said there this one because of this being the show that it is and where we've dropped into it there's definitely stuff that we just don't understand the issue. And the reason that this episode didn't have good redeeming qualities is that the B and C storylines one of them was also steeped in misogyny and oh, like yes.
0: the Patrick crappy. Warburton Ugh. story almost like beneath comment yeah it's like he doesn't want to tell her about her, her medical test results because he wants to like go on some trip I, I don't know it yeah. just
1: yeah she's waiting for test results and she's nervous that's why it's the bros before nodes is the episode title she's worried that the node that she has on her vocal cord it's getting biopsied and so she might have some thing and he has an out of town trip with his bros and he doesn't want to have to stay home when he is assuming that it's nothing and make her feel better all weekend and miss his trip so he pretends to be from the doctor's office and calls her and says that everything is fine bef- like even though he know he doesn't know if that's true just so he can go on this weekend trip yeah
0: and just in general the whole vibe with them, all the dialogue. I mean, this is kind of what I was saying at the beginning. Like, Patrick Warburton is a very funny character actor, but in order to make this kind of negativity funny, you, that is a special gift and that, that they're not right. Well, for. and this
1: is the thing, that just, I mean, maybe I'm misremembering, maybe there's more of that, but I'd love to go back to like a season one, season two, because I remember, I knew Patrick Warburton from Family Guy. Uh-huh. He's the voice of um, the guy in the wheelchair, the cop. Yeah. And he's so funny. He's got this well, great dry delivery. And I remember thinking he was very funny in this. And yeah, it was 2006, six, seven, whatever. So sensibilities were different. And I definitely have changed and my tastes have changed since then. So maybe I wouldn't find it funny anymore. But this just didn't remind me of what I felt like I thought was funny. So- yeah. And it's
0: funny that you mentioned Family Guy because I was thinking of that, again, in the context of, like, it's not automatically irredeemable for a show to have that mean streak or to have a cruel sense of humor. I guess my thinking is you just need to have the goods, you know? Right. So like Seth McFarlane, certainly not everything he did was amazing, but Family Guy at its best had a really mean philosophy to it. There is a nasty edge to the humor of that show, but it does that thing of making you laugh and then making you feel kind of ashamed for having laughed at it and that is when something like that is really working and when it swings and misses like this does then it's just like you guys are dicks like you're (laughs) just making me sad yeah
1: and odious is exactly the right word for that subplot and then the c-plot is is funny but it's sort of a throwaway we get cameo from uh booger from, oh, yeah. <laughs> from yeah. revenge. Curtis of the Nerds.
0: Armstrong as himself, who was ubiquitous in basically our whole lives. This guy just shows up in everything. He's a sitcom study at least three or four timer, having appeared in New Girl and iCarly. Yeah, he's he's yes. been all over the place.
1: This show kind of feels like the stuff that Adam Sandler was doing when we were in high school. That at that time was, like, I thought was really funny. And I still, like, I'll stand by Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore. I think those are funny movies and there's definitely funny bits to it. But it's this sort of, like, lazy boy comedy that when you have David Spade, who is that, like, is from that bit, he's now graying. He's the older dude that's, like, still trying to be that, like lazy boy comedy and it just it doesn't work it's you can tell just like the age of david spade alone tells you how played out that type of comedy is in this sitcom
0: this guy his catchphrase was "Bye bye you know like he was famously (laughs) obnoxious uh, from the jump so yeah looking back at these this is an interesting lineup like i said that charles in charge episode to me is one of like the four or five key sort of core memory sitcoms for me of something I saw as a kid and just recognized how tropey it was with the makeover and that silly B story with the caulk going all over the place. That
1: kid is so funny. I love how, so this kid is so prone to laughing through his lines yeah. that every single time he has a line that's more than one or two words that's like full sentence or two, they have to do this really tight close up shot on his face yeah. because they filmed it with no one else around because he just can't say his lines without laughing.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, that one obviously just super nostalgic and fun, but like we were saying, you know, tracking the trope through all of these, it's funny how what seems like a relatively easy assignment, they, they, all kind of miss it, you know, and, until you get to iCarly. The Green Acres one, again, is, is fun, just as sort of a time capsule. I oh, look this wacky show from the 60s. Yeah,
1: uh, I feel like Green Acres wasn't, it, it wasn't a miss. It just wasn't trying to do anything with the trope. It just was like, kind of origin of, not really origin, but you know, like yeah, the sort early of days of, of developing a trope as it's, you know, on its way to becoming a trope. And then you have Charles in charge, a hundred percent saying and naming that we know it's a trope, but still not really being able to do anything with it because we have to make it the story about the boy, not the girl, and then i carly kind of bringing it around full circle, taking full ownership of a transformation in a you know in a in a kid voice, in a female voice, doing yeah. a great job with also, it a
0: hundred percent I think it literally is a matter of like. They do a second draft on iCarly scripts. And I think on Charles in Charge, it really is just like kind of making it up as you go. And yeah, just like a sort of, and again, this is why I love Charles in Charge, just that the sort of lack of professionalism and just not totally nailing down what you're trying to say before you start rolling the camera. And, you know, God bless him for it. All right, so much for our makeovers. What are we talking about next week?
1: Next week, we're jumping on the nostalgia train. We're going back in time to September 22nd, 1989 and the very first airing of the branded TGIF. Thank goodness it's funny. We're going to watch Full House Season 3, Episode 1, Tanner Island, Family Matters Season 1, Episode 1, The Mama Who Came to Dinner, Perfect Strangers Season 5, Episode 1, Good Skates, and surprise, surprise, Free Spirit Season 1, Episode 1, Pilot. Yep,
0: if you've never heard of that last one, or if you disagree about when TGIF started, we'll get into all of that controversy next week, and until then, we will consider this segment of the sitcom study concluded. Thank you for listening to The Sitcom Study. Tell us what you think or share your own TV tropes and topic ideas by sending a self-addressed stamped email to sitcomstudypodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you like the show, consider leaving a rating or review on your podcast app. It helps us boost those precious Nielsen ratings. The Sitcom Study is recorded in front of a live studio dog.